I V M. Hello everyone, Takshashila Institution is a center for education and research in public policy. We are based out of Bangalore, India. And we have several interesting conversations on a range of topics in the office. And the aim of this show is to bring some of those conversations to you. To discuss uh, the Belt and Road Initiative with me, I have uh, Nitin and Anupam with me. So Nitin, first of all, what is it called? It is One Belt, One Road or is it BRI or is there a third name also? You call it uh, One Belt, One Road, yes. why? Because in Chinese it is na- called E Dai E Liu, which means One Belt, One Road. Okay. Uh, anyway, if you ask me, the best way it should be called is many belts, many roads, because that's how the old uh, trading patterns of Asia used to be. But okay, let's call it Belt and Road Initiative, because in English, it seems to be the the case, right? Uh, so, uh, what I think I, what I found interesting, and I'm very happy about, and really, uh, what I'm really thrilled about, is that I have have a sense that I've been proven right. Because... Uh, you know, two, three years ago, people were saying that, oh, China is spending a trillion dollars in the neighborhood and all those countries who are part of Belt and Road, uh, one Belt, one Road will become Chinese satellites and India is losing out and all that. My answer always has been that let them do it because once uh, once uh, the trading relationship or the investment relationship becomes clear and the project relations become clear, uh, nationalism in these parts of the world will start of, start kicking in and saying like, look, we don't want to be hostage to China. So why do you say you have been proven right now? Because uh, what happened in Malaysia, I think Malaysia, it's been happening for a while uh, to, a le- to some extent with Sri Lanka, but Malaysia and Dr. Mahathir Mohammed has just blown the uh, Belt and Road uh, uh, juggernaut hmm. to a stop. Hmm. Uh, forgive the metaphor but this guy literally goes and says look I'm going to stop this this is bad for Malaysia and I'm going to stop this Mm. right of course it played in with Malaysian uh, internal politics and all that but what he just did is that all the deals I think uh, depending on how you count it could be uh, 30 billion dollars or it could be 150 billion dollars of of investments which have been promised by China Mahathir said, we are either going to freeze it or we are going to stop it. And to make sure that nobody mistakes what his intention is, he went to China and he told the Chinese leaders the same thing, that we are going to renegotiate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting, right? Given that all the other countries till now, it was being portrayed as a gravy train, which many of the countries were trying to utilize. So, Anupam, can you just tell what is this BRI about from an economics perspective? Uh, Essentially, BRI... China wants to spend money in building infrastructure Mm. and uh, it's doing this mainly to, you know, A, it has excess capacity that it wants to utilize uh, and it also gets jobs for Chinese and uh, C, it can earn, you know, interest uh, on the loans it gives, it can earn, uh, there's some return on investment if these projects are successful and ultimately it's also about buying some kind of influence in uh, in these regions. It's mainly the latter because yeah. if you look at the credit rating of the com- countries, sovereign credit rating of the countries they have invested in, there's only one or two which is investment grade. Exactly. Almost all the other countries are countries which cannot repay the debt. Mm-hmm. They are already in some kind of a debt trap and a debt crisis and this is uh, further uh, injection. So anybody who says that the Chinese are going to get back return on investment based on belt on uh, road from a pure economic perspective is smoking something which I don't know what. The first three reasons are the official given reasons as to why they're doing it and what is generally bandied about. Even for the first reason, right, when you were saying about Chinese workers working outside. Now, China like India is such a big domestic market. How will 
such a large number of people let's say work outside china no, that is they'll a very get on a ship and they'll go there they'll no, go but, on an aeroplane or a ship or how something. will other countries just accept uh, chinese coming in such big numbers well they are not i think hmm. initially they didn't realize the scale of this right uh, and i think you look at malaysia again as a classic example the reason the malaysians were so unhappy with this is because malaysia actually has a manufacturing base of small and medium enterprises and these guys are actually part of the manufacturing value chains supply chains of global companies right they are small companies medium sized companies but they are part of global supply chains now what's happened is part of the large part of the chinese investment in malaysia takes the supply chain back to chinese companies so although the projects are happening in malaysia the suppliers and the contractors and the laborers all of them mm. are linked back to china mm. right and that's why uh, the malaysian companies are unhappy mm. and i think because of that and it's not surprising that malaysia stood up first to uh, to china is because i think this is the place where uh, the political economy is such that people who are losing out actually have political clout mm. if you look at africa or maldives and all these places people who are losing out have no political clout mm. so the the rich and the elite and the you know the government people the president and all those guys make their money and make their cut from this and the people who are dispossessed or disenfranchised by the chinese investments have no voice hmm. so the the game continues in these places hmm. but i think the other one is probably going to be pakistan pakistan so, is also coming to that level yeah many interesting things happening in pakistan also on this even though pakistan's cpeg was supposed to be at the the flagship project under belt and road and the amount of protests which are now coming after imran khan has come up also it it seems that there is some renegotiation yeah but on. interesting about pakistan is that look if pakistan borrows money from china large amounts of money from china people think it's pakistan will have a problem because they won't be able to repay back hmm. the money but it's also a problem for china because what if pakistanis don't repay back the money right hmm. so there's a problem for both sides mm. but with respect to imran khan who's also you know in a way gone this mahatir way and said that we are going to renegotiate and all that they've had some conversations the question is i'm not quite sure whether this guy has a wherewithal to actually confront china mm. they could just go and say we are going to renegotiate and make some big noise about it and everybody in pakistan feels that you know imran khan is renegotiating this for, for patriotic reasons and then they just do what they've always been doing you know so i don't know how much of it is drama and how much of it imran will be able to follow through patriotic pakistanis will be very careful and i i think i've seen them being quite prudent and careful in that that mm. this is borrowing more chinese money to pay back chinese money <laughs> and you are going to be in a deeper and deeper debt trap yeah. the surprising thing about all of this is that when the contract was signed i mean yes in malaysia and pakistan you've had a change of government but uh, in a lot of other countries serbia etc it's been the same government there's suddenly a waking realization that uh, this is not fiscally possible uh, it's not sustainable and they're going to get into a deep debt trap and so on and increasingly the literature start speaking about this yeah. before there was nothing on that i mean it was more about uh, the influence of that china is going to have and so on the fiscal sustainability was not really spoken about until yeah. quite recently yeah that's a good point i think the narrative has changed right uh, a few months back it was all about china this is a new initiative china changing the world order but increasingly the stories that now talk about this initiative are all about debt trapped and uh, odor one debt one road <laughs> kind of uh, things right so that i think yeah, is narrative happening. has changed what i think is, is this reflects is a realization that wherever there is nationalism mm. any national leader who hopes to survive in power based on a relationship with china which sees 
the national interest being frittered away mm. is likely to lose power mm. so uh, razak in malaysia nawaz sharif in pakistan probably are the biggest examples but given that there is a wave of nationalism and populism everywhere i think it runs counter to this bri in a sense right exactly so mm. i think maybe the the uh, the surge of nationalism and populism around the world is going to have a mm. backstop on what uh, bri does and for this i would blame the chinese i mean if we, if you really thought that you could uh, go around the world and uh, buy out leaders uh, in this way or you know give enough money and put everybody into a debt trap or some kind of things i think you were working on a very very weak uh, understanding of what how the world works mm. and even the way they structured the contract and so on again it it kind of betrayed a lack of understanding right because uh, like countries have these local sourcing requirements a part of the project and the loans that were given uh, the conditions were that you use raw materials from china as in you have to buy those raw materials from china you use the chinese workers in a particular ratio and so on and obviously there was going to be a backlash against yeah. so generally like it's not like that is it if say india does <coughs> or us does similar fdi investment there is if us invest no, in india there's no way they can no, fdi hmm. is different but aid has always had this uh, dark side wherever foreign aid has hmm. been given or concessionary loans have been given by the export import bank of a particular country hmm. what would happen is they would expect you to uh, uh, buy procure goods from your country right, right? Hmm. so when us would give money to uh, a concessionary loan to bangladesh to buy a submarine cable then they would say the contractors which will install the submarine cable have to be us contractors Correct. so this yeah. always was known hmm. right and people sort of understood this because most of these countries didn't have those contractors or hmm. firms in the first place right they because didn't they have were the not as developed yeah. but when it comes to labor hmm. Hmm. when it comes to labor it becomes different right because now you are getting even a 100 workers or a 1000 workers in a factory in a place where there is large number large where there are large numbers of unemployed people or people who don't have high wages they see foreigners coming in and doing the kind of work that they think they ought to do mm. then there's going to be a backlash and i think that's happened everywhere it's happened in africa we knew this about 15 years ago it's happened in uh, other parts of the world also mm. so now it's just come up to the fore yeah in fact there was some news about how south africa is also speaking this about this zimbabwe etc djibouti well. so, yeah, which is so one of the biggest ones uh, there's ha- things happening in mongolia of course serbia there's uh, there's a whole set of uh, bunch of countries which have suddenly thing and and there was a recent paper which said you know which kind of analyzed um, the debt vulnerability of a country hmm. right overall how good or bad their macroeconomic situation is and of that total debt how much is a percentage of it is from china mm. right that means you are more indebted to one country than just from a multi multilateral organization or from yeah this thing right and and there's eight countries which are particularly this thing and and again pakistan is one of it not malaysia though mm. no. malaysia is a much more was there, mongolia djibouti maldives and yeah, so yeah. Mm. yeah no but here's the thing uh this pattern was well known right uh, harry broadman had a book i think 15 years ago which talked about uh, the difference between the indian model and the chinese model of engagement in africa mm. where he was saying that when chinese companies invest in africa uh, they would bring their own labor they would bring their own technician the entire supply chain would uh, be traced back to china whereas when indian firms did business in africa they would use local labor local resources and uh, local uh, supply chains and so forth this was well known the fact that uh, the chinese thought that the same pattern can operate in other places uh, where uh, the political awareness is higher political economies are different 
still begs the question what what did they think they were doing how mm. did they think they'll get away with this but let me play the devil's advocate here and it's a line of credit which the indian government gives for example each line of credit is also associated with a company that that country should work with an indian company with so in that sense it was similar right it was similar to bri i guess there was no labor restrictions uh, that is the new thing about bri but indian companies doing it in africa was not very different isn't it yeah a the uh, it's uh, conceptually the numbers were small Mm. uh the pattern was different because this is a transaction which was a loan to exim bank and it was transparent and so forth now here's the interesting part about the belt and road things most of these deals are opaque mm. yeah, they are even right. the people in that country other than the people in know. government don't know what the deals are right for example imran is still trying to fumble yeah. around and trying to figure out what exactly these deals were what are the terms what are the liabilities mahathir for example in Mah- uh, in malaysia found that uh, a lot of these uh uh obligations is malaysia has towards china are in the form of contingent liabilities hmm. contingent liabilities are basically outside your budget hmm. what it means is that there's a p- public private partnership project where a, let's say you build a bridge or something and the bridge is going to generate toll revenues and if the toll revenues fall below a certain uh, certain level then the government actually pays the difference okay so these are contingent liabilities so mm. there are huge amount of contingent liabilities in the malaysian projects okay. i'm sure there are contingent liabilities in pakistan and other places mm. which means that the government in power doesn't know how much it owes china yeah. right and you and so in, in public finance as you know it's a very bad thing to have contingent liabilities yeah and i think that is a critical difference in in pakistan for example the only sources you can come to know is you re, if you read dawn or something and they are all vaguely uh, disparate figures you know because no one actually knows what is the actual number that china is pumping in and the website for cpec mentions all sorts of things we don't even know and again are. the problem is the method of financing i mean sometimes it's an outright fdi sometimes it's a loan it's given between government it's a sovereign loan hmm. uh, sometimes it's a chinese company investing in somewhere else and so on so it doesn't always get neatly classified as this is part of bri this is part of bri and so hmm. on right hmm. uh, some of it gets recorded as fdi some of them get recorded as loans and then there's this whole gray area that you don't know about i mean and i think that's part of the problem what malaysia is facing they they think that the uh, 100 or 50 odd billion that they actually this thing is is vastly understated okay okay so now let's discuss and the future okay i want you to think anupam i want you to think from the economics angle how is this going to play out for china and for some other countries and nitin i want you to tell me how would it be for uh, from a political and geopolitical point of view what will happen uh, what do you see how do you do you see this playing out anupam okay from the economics angle i think um it, China is also I mean has to be clever it doesn't yes it has vast amounts of foreign exchange reserves and so on but if there is an actual default on its loans mm. and and we are close to that in Pakistan right the IMF is saying that we will not give you a loan because you're going to use that to pay back China mm. uh if any of the countries actually default on uh, a Chinese loan even if it is small it can actually set apart uh you know uh, set off a, a small financial crisis of sorts mm, right mm. because and, and that's not what china mm. wants and immediately the trust in this chinese money mm. will go down massively okay uh and people will not be willing to even you know invest in china china 
or uh, other countries will not want chinese investment and so on so that that thing can really break so up so contagion of bri the okay. contagion of bri okay. yeah mm-hmm. i think that would probably be a very realistic near term uh, mm-hmm. threat that china is facing mm-hmm. and it has to be very clear on how how it want to go about this right mm-hmm. it can't keep trying to invest in countries which have extremely low uh, rating mm-hmm. uh, investment grade rating and then you know and, and it it can't hope for the best basically mm. right the, uh, uh and and basically invest more than or give loan more than what the country is capable of repaying mm. Mm. and okay. that can really set off this thing fine See, geopolitically i think the this is probably the biggest challenge uh beijing has faced uh geopolitically in the last 10 15 years because right now after the uh, mahatir mohammed's move and hamban tota i think was their big mistake mm. because once uh, everybody saw that when the sri lankans were not able to pay back the debt uh, how the Be- how beijing claim and claimed it as a, a equity right literally changing it into equity that in case you can't pay i'm going to come and take this over once everybody saw that this is how the uh, chinese are going to operate with uh, some of these projects everybody got a lot more cautious mm. right because you're losing a port in a city it's not easy and you're you're just a small power against uh, the might of china you really don't have the wherewithal to stand up and nobody else is going to stand up for you so i think hamban tota was a big mistake which the chinese made and now because of hamban tota malaysia and pakistan probably have stood up and raised their hands and asked you know that we've got to renegotiate this now this is a this is a kind of a fix for the for for china because if they agree to renegotiate right that means they've blinked hmm. which means a lot of other countries will also now come and try and renegotiate almost everybody will renegotiate because knowing that look there's a precedent here and if we sort of make noise they'll they'll uh, they'll renegotiate which means that basically you lose money right as china you lose money because all these renegotiations basically mean that other countries are not going to pay you back hmm. or they're going to change the terms of the trade in terms of yeah. the deal in their maybe their reduce pay. the number of workers coming workers coming in. or they'll say uh, give us a longer period or reduce our interest rate or you know uh, uh, write off this much of debt or all of those things now if the chinese hold firm Mm. right and say that no we are not going to renegotiate we are going to actually come after you for trying to renege for after having reneged on the promise then you have another problem because mm. everybody else says look do you want to really deal with these guys because if something goes wrong they're going to come and fall on me like a ton of bricks mm. so mm. Uh, how the chinese deal with this is going to be a big test of their skills mm. so far i think they've gone around in a really ham-handed way for some strange reason everybody i spoke to and we all spoke to seem to think that this is some great genius in the way they did belt and road i've always said that this is folly and it's it's going to fail uh, so whoever thought that this, these are geniuses really have to now answer how this these geniuses are going to solve the problem because yeah. i think it's going to be very hard mm. uh, it is it is going to uh, in a way prematurely poke a hole into the whole china being a geopolitical power story because mm. mm. now it could even be a contagion and right. how are you going to handle this contagion Okay, one last question. What is the opportunity here for India? Is there an opportunity in all this? I think we just well, the if you look at it in in one sense, it's good to sit back and let this play out mm. because uh, geopolitics is something national interests don't change. After uh, many of these uh, countries go into the Chinese embrace and find out that it's not as comfortable and as desirable desirable as they thought, they'll look around for options. Mm. And India, Japan, United States, Europe—these are the big options these countries have. Mm. And we should be ready to reach out 
when uh, uh, Chinese uh, countries that are in a Chinese embrace want to uh, want out. But what about the direct way? Like, why not have Chinese investment in India? Uh, given that all these countries are not going to be able to pay for the Chinese. Obviously, I mean, mm. you Chinese have to invest in India because of, of their own their interest. Own interest. We yeah. don't have to be part mm. of a belt and road. Right. I mean, as I said, if all the countries that you're putting your money in are uh, not debt uh, credit worthy, mm. right? Your money is really being poured into some project because of your geopolitical designs, whether they succeed or not. But you've poured a trillion dollars into all these countries. Now, Somebody is going to ask the president of China, hey, you know, there's a trillion dollars of our money. What did you, you know, where are you going to get returns out of? You need some places which will give you returns. And India is the only place they can think of, I mean, of, of that kind of scale. Mm. Of course, there's United States, but Mr. Trump is not going to be too friendly to those kind of things, right? So, they have to invest in uh, India. It's not something that we have to go and reach out there for. Mm. Mm. In their own interest to come here, right? Yeah, I don't see how they can make this project even viable if India is not a part of it. Right. So, but you don't need a Wuhan reset kind of a thing for all this. Absolutely right? not. You just yeah. need to go about a normal business and say if this project makes sense, you're welcome. If this project doesn't make sense, you're not welcome. You don't have to do anything special or extraordinary uh, with respect to China. Right. Great. So, it was good to discuss this. So, is it many thing. belts, many roads, one belt, one road, or belt and road? Yeah, I don't know. I'll find the Chinese version of it and put it as the title then. <laughs> if there is a contagion, then there's no belt and the pants have fallen down. So. <laughs> okay, right. on that optimistic no, on that note, I'll end this. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Watch out this space for more fun and interesting conversations on policy. Follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you.